She smiled in the sun. On a perfect day in 1958, Alina Kittredge wore a white sundress that glowed in Buffalo, New York. A sweet-smelling breeze pushed the hem around and blew her chestnut hair over her face. Her beauty was quiet, but undeniably intact. Ocean blue eyes that invited conversation, and small, soft lips that were happy to participate in it. There was a friendly air about her that could instantly put anyone at ease. She was on the tall side and thin, with square shoulders, but her hips were set wide enough to give her a decidedly feminine figure. The sidewalk reflected near-blinding light as she strolled along, swinging a green purse from her arm. An old man on his porch tipped his grease-stained cap to her as she passed, and she waved a pale hand back. He was handsome, even with all of his years, and he reminded her of Elvis. She'd always appreciated a stranger with a friendly face, she thought that maybe when he was done with the army for good, Elvis might like to sit on a porch like the old man's, and relax for a while, and wave at pretty girls. Her hands had recently begun to show signs of her age. The veins had always shown through her nearly translucent skin, but now they were becoming more pronounced. One blue line seemed to run the entire length of her index finger. The skin was stretched tightly, and had started to harden in spots here and there. Getting older didn't bother her, and anyway, she was only just leaving her forties. She took a long walk each day, almost always through the busiest parts of town. Last month, there had been a jazz combo rehearsing for a festival on the bandstand in the park. People had taken off their shoes and danced in the soft grass three feet from the stage. She'd joined them and clapped along, swirling to an excellent run-through of round midnight. Even when the rain had started, she and several other brave ones had danced on as the boom of thunder overtook the bang of the drums. Finally, the crowd had broken up and she'd hurried home. Alina saw a teenage couple several yards down the sidewalk coming her way. 
They held hands and swung their arms back and forth absent-mindedly. The boy's arm was full of school books, both his and hers, clutching them to his body. When they got to Alina, they said a quick and pleasant hello, and temporarily disjoined their hands to pass on either side of her. She turned around to see them lace their fingers back together as soon as they could, and her eyes opened wide for a moment before she about-faced and continued down the path. Squirrels chased each other up and down the trunk of a huge tree that provided some welcome shade in the July sun. A brief pause to pat the drops of perspiration from her forehead, and she was on her way again. The rosy brown bricks of a one-story school building soaked up the same sunlight that Alina's white dress threw off. The school's windows had been opened to let in the fresh air and let out the scent of 70 elementary students. Billy sat at his desk while his teacher cleared the blackboard with an eraser, creating a cloud of particulate that was highlighted by the shafts of radiance shooting in through the classroom window. A large banner showing the letters of the alphabet was pinned on the wall opposite the blackboard, along with nearly a hundred pieces of art, splotchy watercolors of the beach and doodles of purple cats, that sort of thing. Billy had plump cheeks and a pinched little nose between them. His eyes were kind and curious, and didn't for a second give away that his father had been killed in Korea before Billy's second birthday. The teacher dismissed the students after reminding them to practice their multiplication tables. They streamed out of the building, a din of laughter and chatter spilling out with them. Billy held one of his hands up to rest on his brow while his pupils contracted to adjust to the outside world. When he could see more clearly, he glimpsed Alina walking over to him. Between them, a cardinal was perched on a bush. It was at about the level of Alina's chest from Billy's perspective, and he thought it looked like a bright red pin on her dress. Three finches on the same bush were gathered around the cardinal, and they all sang together briefly. Then the finches moved on. Hello, Billy. She squatted down to be at eye level and cupped his shoulder in her hand, a look of love and affection over her face. He squinted in the shade under his hand and smiled back. Hi. I have something sweet for you. She reached into her purse and pulled out the reddest candy apple ever made, wrapped in clear cellophane. She tore the covering off and handed it over. Billy managed to get out. Oh, thank you, before sinking his teeth into it and ripping off a bite that would take a lot of work to chew. It's so beautiful outside today. I thought I'd like to do something special. There's a circus nearby, out all the way from Indiana, and it's their opening night. There'll be a ringmaster with a long black whip that goes crack, and a man who can juggle fire with his bare hands, and a bag of peanuts the size of your head. She put both hands behind her back and feigned uncertainty. I don't suppose you'd want to come along with me? We'd have to leave right away. He thought of what he knew about the circus. Bright orange tigers, gleeful elephants filling cavernous striped tents with trumpeting, men and women in sequined costumes flying gracefully through the air, and couldn't contain his excitement. Do you mean it? Can I really go? She rose and took his hand in hers. Oh, of course you can. I've never been before. Billy, I'd love to take you. Alina gave his hand a little squeeze before they walked away from the school's rosy brown bricks.
they moved west into the sun. He took huge, crunchy bites of the candy apple as they strolled. Soon, he had a dull red smearing of spit, sugar, and food coloring around his mouth, which had frozen into a grin. Alina noticed this and laughed a wave of charm. Her laugh always started all the way at the bottom of her toes and accelerated through her body until it cascaded out to the world. A little crow's foot appeared at the edge of her left eye when she laughed nowadays. It barely aged her and in fact made her look even more happy in her moments of good cheer than she had ten years ago. The two passed a beauty salon, and a fragrant mist of several perfumes battling to be the first one noticed wafted their way through the open front door. A stylish mannequin's torso sat in a large picture window, surrounded by the colorful packaging of face creams and beauty bars, stacks of things designed for organic flesh that would never dissolve into the mannequin's plastic self. The shopping district through which they walked was alive with families and more teenage couples. Alina couldn't tell any one of the young couples from the rest. They were so the same in their beaming happiness, and that was all right. What did you learn from the teacher today? she asked. Lots of things. She taught us about gravity. Gravity? Well, what's that? She pretended to have never heard of such a thing. You can't see it, but it's everywhere, and it makes everybody stick to the ground so they don't fly off into outer space. It's right in the middle of the world, and it pulls on you all the time. Billy sheared the last good bite from the candy apple with his teeth and wiped his mouth on the bottom of his shirt. I'm glad we have that. I certainly wouldn't want to drift out into space. It would be so cold and lonely there. She took the stick with the skewered core on it from Billy and put it into a trash can in front of a barber shop. The boy was small for his age, not quite tall enough to reach the top of the can himself. What's your favorite thing to learn about in school? She asked. He thought for about the length of a step and said, Animals! Animals? Big bears and little baby mice and cats and funny ones like armadillos. I like learning about all of them. Will they have any armadillos at the circus? She laughed. I don't know if they will. We'll have to find out when we get there. How far is it? There's a little way to go. But you've got a tummy full of apple to make you strong, don't you? Mm-hmm, I sure do. Thank you. She took his hand again and swung it back and forth while they walked on after the sun that had barely started along its path to sinking. You're welcome, Billy. I'm so glad I could make you happy. Hot sun pressed on their shoulders. So heavy, it felt like it would stick them to the earth just fine if gravity were switched off. A fat man struggling with the heat appeared from around a corner, wearing a linen suit the color of a ripe peach. Long paths where sweat had run were in the shape of two slices of pie on the jacket, with two little points near his hips widening up to his armpits. The skin on his reddened face was no more than an hour away from peeling. Good afternoon, ma'am, and to you, son, he said as he approached them. As he turned sideways to shuffle past them on the narrow sidewalk, his glasses slipped off his face and fell to the ground. Billy squatted down to pick them up and returned them to the man, who inspected the lenses for cracks. Are they okay, mister? He asked with genuine concern. 
I reckon they'll still do, the man said, before blowing on the glasses and slipping them back onto his damp face. I appreciate you doing the legwork, son. I'm having a plenty tough time getting around today as it is without bending at the knees. It's a scorcher. Yes, it is. We've got a ways to walk on still, Alina said to the man. Come on, Billy. We're going to the circus, Billy said. Well, how about that? What a downright good way to spend a pretty day like this one. I wasn't even aware there was a circus in Buffalo. Billy was excited to inform him. It's opening night, sir. A traveling circus from Indiana. Don't keep the man. I'm sure he has to be on his way, Alina said. A hint of exasperation in her voice almost went unnoticed. The man adjusted the glasses and replied, I do, young man, I do. Just on the way home to have an early dinner with the missus, and patted Billy on the head. You two have a grand time at the big top. Don't take any wooden nickels, son. No, sir, the boy said back. The fat man moved along the sidewalk, the wings of sweat on his back ever expanding. Alina and Billy walked to the end of the uptown shopping district and kept going. The man had reminded her of her sister's husband. He was a skinny theater usher over in Chictawaga where he'd met Claire. They'd fallen in love the minute he'd shown her to her seat, and he'd been putting on weight ever since. Claire had kept the same figure she'd always had over her years with him, trim and with square shoulders like Alina's, and she still looked at him with long, contented stares from time to time, looks full of warmth and thankfulness. When Claire stopped being a Kittredge and became a Robinson, Alina had felt a brew of both joy and loss deep in her belly. The fact that her sister was no longer the girl who would always need her around was made concrete. She had told Alina she'd met the man she'd love forever, and the glow in her eyes that had been there since childhood had gotten brighter, a strange thing to see for one like Alina, who'd always pictured youth and contentment as parts of the same whole, a thing that lost its power steadily over time. Billy's feet started to get sore. He'd gotten his shoes a few days ago, and they hadn't been broken in yet. He'd wondered if anyone would ride a tiger at the circus. No, that would be too dangerous. Tigers can jump over 15 feet in the air when they want to, and even the best rodeo rider would have trouble hanging on to something with that kind of strength. He wanted to see a gigantic elephant rise up on its hind legs and blow a shrill salute to the crowd. To Billy, it felt like Christmas Eve, the excitement shooting through him as he tried to contain it within his tiny frame. Bubbles of anticipation flipped through his body like a family of aerialists performing their show-closing feat. His heartbeat picked up when he thought of seeing the colorful tents for the first time, and though he didn't want to seem impatient, he finally had to ask, Miss, how much longer until we get there? It would be a short while more. Alina again held the boy's hand in her own, which had started to sweat. The few thin books in the bag slung over his shoulder got heavier as they walked. Her purse felt lighter than a piece of paper on her arm. She'd almost forgotten to take it with her when she left the house that afternoon, so unlike her. But today was a special day, and even the most meticulous person can be thrown off her routine by atypical circumstances. A freshly painted white bus rumbled and took off. It had just picked up a new load of passengers at a stop on the street. 
Alina and the boy watched as a dense black cloud of exhaust rose and began to dissipate behind it, the smell of it not entirely unpleasant to either of them. Billy gave a little cough when they walked through it, and Alina waved the smoke away from his face with a fluttering hand. Have you ever ridden on a bus, Billy? She asked the boy. He was still watching the bus as it shrank to the size of a matchbox car in the distance. No? Where do they go when they leave the stop? They can go all kinds of places. Anywhere you want to go. Or close enough. Did the circus come on a bus from Indiana? I imagine they did. The circus people have an exciting life full of adventure. As soon as they finish in one town, they're off on a journey to the next. Do they ever get scared? I like being at home. They can't ever be at home, can they? She breathed out all of her air and held her empty body still for a moment. She drew a fresh batch in to answer him. They traveled together, Billy. The lion tamer and the contortionist and the ringmaster and all the rest. As long as they're together, they don't get scared. They can go anywhere in the whole world and they'll never be frightened. And anywhere you feel safe is home. Do you understand that, Billy? He thought about it and figured that he did. So he said, Yes, I'm glad they feel safe then. His free hand was stuffed into the pocket of his red shorts, still sticky from the candy apple. We're on a journey like them right now, aren't we? Of course we are, and we'll be done soon. I know I've made you walk a long, long way. You've been very good. Indeed, they had been walking a long time. There were fewer people out on the street now. This was a route she knew well and could probably walk a good stretch of blindfolded. The boy's pace had matched hers at the start, but had slowed. She was careful not to pull on his arm. The last thing she wanted to do was make him feel dragged. We need to go off the sidewalk now, okay, Billy? The quickest way is right through these woods at the edge of the park. She pointed to the end of a mildly worn path that crooked into a small forest. He nodded and willed his feet to march. Another boy from his class had been to the circus near his family's summer home last year. He'd told Billy about the salty corn dogs and sweet funnel cakes he'd eaten, admitting they'd given him a bellyache, but swearing up and down that he'd eat every last bite of them again. Billy tried to trick himself into tasting those things, but he couldn't conjure the flavor of anything. He was very thirsty. Though the trees and their leaves weren't all that thick, the light was cut in half as they walked into the woods. Alina looked down at her hands in the reduced light. Their blue veins looked ugly to her, and she saw her knuckles as bulging river stones beneath her skin. An odd thing. To her, the hand she'd been holding Billy's in looked ever so slightly less warped, less old and ugly, as if he'd been healing it with the touch of his hand. She felt his weak grip and tried to discern whether there was anything mystical in it. Doesn't the cool air feel good here in the shade? She said. Yes, miss. I was too hot before. Be careful not to trip on the roots. This is a secret path we're on. No one has been through to clear it for us. 
Okay, he said, and raised his feet a little higher on his steps, stomping them down almost comically each time. His physical exhaustion had caught up to his enthusiasm, and his breathing grew louder, mixing with the noises of crickets waking up. He looked around and thought he could hear music faintly coming from somewhere far away, music like something he'd heard before. One night, he'd stayed up late after his mother had put him to bed, and he'd snuck up behind the couch while she watched Ed Sullivan. There had been a skeletal girl in a beautiful green and red dress with several silk scarves tied around her head, playing a compact organ, coaxing rich music from it that had made Billy feel dizzy. It was part of a bit that featured a juggling clown and another girl flipping a hula hoop around her waist. That same dizziness crept into Billy as the muffled tones came to him from a ways off, from somewhere. We're very close now, Alina said to him. I think I can hear the circus music, he responded. You can? That's good. What does it sound like? It's quiet. And it's funny. I might like it more when I can see the tigers. I hope you do, Billy. She stopped, and so did he. Daytime was hanging on outside the woods, but tiny landmarks she'd memorized were difficult to see in the dimmer light where they stood. There should have been a little maple sapling leading to the west, pointing out the way, but she couldn't find it. They walked in a small circle, and Billy continued his thudding footsteps. Finally, there it was. Alina took a look at the little tree and moved them along the last leg of their trip. Billy heard the music getting louder. Or was it just noise? Alina began to imitate his heavy footsteps stomping up and down, and the boy was amused. He'd never seen a grown-up walk like that. I can hear the music now, too. We're so close, Alina said gleefully. Billy listened intently as he followed her, and his excitement returned some of the strength to him. Any second, and we'll find what we need. Alina crashed her feet into the earth over and over. Billy did the same, and then Billy screamed. She turned around to see a shape quickly wriggle away and vanish into a cluster of brush, and a smile bloomed on her lips. On the boy's bare leg, below the end of his shorts, two pinpricks each leaked a drop of blood. Billy cried with shock, and thick tears rolled over his cheeks. It's okay, Billy. Everything is okay. He couldn't answer and continued crying. Beneath his sobs, the noise that had once been faint became a clear buzz. You see, this is just a stop that we have to make. The buzzing shifted to something closer to a rattling. There's nothing to be afraid of, she said, and halted Billy's bawling by turning the pain and shock he was feeling into confusion. She walked over to a weathered pallet on the forest floor and knelt down beside it, then lifted it up with both hands and tossed it to the side. The noise became a buzzing again, louder than a swarm of bees this time. In a hole in the ground underneath where the pallet had been, a writhing den of snakes blared a warning with twenty-eight rattles. They twisted over each other and angrily shook their tails, 
furious to have had their home invaded. She took a fistful of white dress in each hand and raised her skirt to bare her legs. Billy watched as she calmly shrugged the purse strap higher onto her shoulder and walked into the pile of snakes. They cocked back and struck at her, landing their fangs into her pale flesh and pumping poison into the blue channels of her veins. What scared Billy most of all was her tranquility. She stood ankle-deep in the mass of snakes as if she were standing in a puddle of rainwater, the contented look never leaving her face. There was a terrible thump as each of the small, pointed heads bumped into her legs, and then she dropped her skirt back down and walked out, kicking free the last dark coil and taking Billy's hand again. Do you see? We don't have to be scared when we're together. We're like the circus people. We can go anywhere now, and there won't be any reason to be afraid, she said to the boy. She started to walk out the other side of the woods with Billy beside her. Soon they'd reached the end of the trees and walked out into the light of a six o'clock sun. She limped and held on to the boy tightly. They were in a public park with people all around. A father and his daughter flew a kite high up in the air. Two friends threw a frisbee back and forth over the walkway that cut through the center of the space. Billy watched it fly through the sky like a pendulum, hypnotized by it. He didn't understand what he'd seen in the woods. The frisbee went up, and it came back down. Gravity made it do that, and that was something he could understand. One of the boys missed a catch, and the disc fell into the grass, and then Billy could speak again. Miss, don't we need a doctor? She spoke in a strange rhythm, affected by the massive dose of venom floating to her heart. We don't have to go just yet. We're tired from taking such a long walk. Come, sit with me. She limped over to a bench that sat between large clay flower pots. She plunked down onto it, and Billy hopped up next to her. His eyes were tearless now, but saddled with concern. Both the wet streaks on his cheeks and the trails of blood on his shin had dried. At the bottom of Alina's dress, many pairs of red dots soaked through. They sat without words for a long moment and watched the other people in the park enjoy the last of a perfect day. The moment stretched on to dusk. People went home. Billy, we're going to go away. And if we go together, we can have someone, always always with, he squirmed under her arm, together, no alone, I hold your little hand, and I talk to you, and you talk to me, until no more, but forever, 
She drooled out the side of her mouth, and Billy looked up to the wet strand dropping toward his eye. It caught the side of her face and clung to her neck, sparing him the unwelcome contact. Miss, we need a doctor. The hospital. She rolled her head in his direction. He glanced down and saw her legs had ballooned to the size of telephone poles under her dress. She had been moving them around and made red smudges on the inside of the fabric that showed as a duller shade on the outside. No, doctor. There is no circus. His eyes slid up to meet hers, and he saw they'd gone glassy, like polished marbles. Circus. No, no circus. You have to get a doctor, miss. I don't want you to die. Her head stayed right where it was. Now, confusion danced on her face. Die? But you. You with me. Snake and snakes. Don't talk. Please don't talk. Billy said, and placed a hand under her chin to support her head. A fresh slick of spit slipped out of her mouth and found its way into Billy's palm. She fought to get her words to leave her head. Both of us, snake. He flinched at the wet feeling on his palm. Again overwhelmed, his eyes teared up and his voice quivered. The one that bit me, he was just a little brown snake. I'm okay, but miss, you were in a big nest of Massasauga rattlers. You need help. And she was afraid. The boy was fully alive and wouldn't be going with her. Whatever she was headed off to meet, she'd meet it alone. She hoped it wouldn't be too dark, and prayed it wouldn't be too cold. To the extent that she could still think, she thought in that instant that there was a good chance that death would be like outer space, a smooth eternity for her to haunt on her own. She had to have an end to the miserable hours between bedtime and daybreak, when she was expected to lie in bed by herself, and further, to sleep and to dream like everyone else. Her spirit was fueled by amity, and it became clear to her after a while that the world couldn't provide it in the amount that she needed. And now she would drift off to outer space as a lone vessel. Her gravity had been turned off, and the boy was responsible. You, the word was a grunt. Riding her body's last waves of adrenaline, she flopped onto the boy. She pushed down on his head and rose to her full height. The pretty face she'd had was distorted by rage and poison. Her chestnut hair stuck to the slobber on her chin, and her milky eyes sunk back into her skull. She bared her teeth and kept them gritted. And the boy saw that she'd mindlessly chewed a hole through her lip that was discharging thick purple gushes. 
her legs hadn't stopped bleeding, and on them, braids of dark blood and a black ooze crisscrossed over each other. When she stood, a dark yellow spot formed on her dress, and the urine that the dress didn't soak up pattered onto the ground. The last light of the sun was in the sky behind her, an arresting background for the monster. The brain spoiling in her head stopped showing things as they were, and her hands grew to gnarled claws. She gripped the boy's head in one of them and squeezed with the strength of an insane animal about to expire. The boy kicked at her and rained slaps onto her face, but she wasn't feeling pain anymore. He choked out, Stop! Ow! Before her closed fist caught him on the cheek. There was still time to take him along, to die with a companion, but the distinction between that goal and punishing him for so rudely derailing the last plans she'd ever make had floated away. She only knew that she had to stop his life before the venom digested her from the inside. A gravelly roar came up from her toes and threw her hollowing body along the path that laughter used to take. Another growl just like it followed. She fought the defectiveness creeping its way down her arm and compressed the boy's face, craving the noise his skull would make if she were able to crush it just a little. He missed his mother so much. Alina pressed him into the bench and pounded at him over and over. His eyes were closing, but it didn't feel like falling asleep. Instead, he felt like a lamp whose cord was barely hanging from an outlet, the bulb flashing then almost going out as the prongs at the end of the cord sparked. He never stopped kicking, though his blows were losing force. Then the boy flickered and flared, and one of his new shoes caught something. When it made contact with her mutated leg, it tore a seam in the swollen skin and fleeced a flabby strip from it. She loosened her grip on him, and he gulped in a serving of oxygen. Instinctively, he kicked at the torn flesh again. Some pop came back to his blows with the breath he'd taken. More kicks, and the leg came apart. Surrounded by striated muscle, a perfectly white femur gleamed through streaks of blood. He drew back his ruined shoes and aimed them at the leg that was still intact. The skin on this one was looser and tore free on the second strike. The fresh rubber of his shoes pounded at the meat of her thigh, through the dress, and ripped open an artery that poured red. A pattern of small, dirty footprints disappeared as the skirt sopped up a crimson ocean. She let his head go. The thing that had been Alina Kittredge buckled and collapsed into a weeping, spitting mound. Billy coughed and cried along with her, and scooted to the other side of the bench from where he watched her flail. There was no more hateful fire in her eyes. Rather, the look of a hesitant student waiting to be told whether she'd made a mistake. Billy watched her die. In her final act as a living thing, she'd held a pleading hand out to him and understood and accepted her fate when he knocked it away. She contracted into a ball, then slowly expanded like a crumpled paper towel taking on water. Billy tried his hardest not to smell the mix of blood, urine, and flowers 
that was in his nose. His face remained buried in his knees until a man taking a walk through the park tapped him gently on the arm. He carried Billy to the police station and described the scene he'd pulled him from. Billy was returned to his mother and spent the rest of the week at home, silent in her arms. The police collected the husk of Alina Kittredge before sunup the next day. They found her purse lying next to her and noted its contents. A single envelope housing a letter addressed to Alina's sister, Claire. Claire, you have always been a fountain of love and decency on which I've been overly reliant. I miss you but I am tired of missing you every day. When the sun did come up the next morning, it shone on an empty park bench in front of which spots of deep red lay. This contrasted with an image Alina had dreamed a hundred times. The image of a quiet woman with her arm around a quiet child, resting his head on her shoulder in the new light. for me is in my head Even if I ignore it The town calls out in protest and every week Someone else pays for it Comes in through the window late at night When everybody is sleeping His arms are long and thin, his fingers slide Footsteps creaking place with wooden books and cardboard boots and paper clocks it's always dark and the doors are tied up tight with ribbon locks and when he's home he sits in a room with Broken toys and stolen bones Can't stay for long Because he's sick and tired of everything he owns So he comes back Travels like a snake, but on two feet He's on a task And someone knows he's there, or maybe not You shouldn't ask 
So boys and girls If you think you might believe the local lore Find a rubber knife It's the only way they make them anymore And God forbid That you forget to tie your shoes or wear your socks Or ribbon man Will steal your bones up while you sleep and take your thoughts It's the only It's the only way they make them anymore It's the only, it's the only way they make them anymore. Continue on October 29th.